0: Bandwidth for July has been provided by CashFly, the fastest, most reliable CDN in the business. CashFly delivers all of our content here, 5x5, and they're the best. Now through July 31st, they're offering a pay-as-you-go CDN plan. Pay for only what you use for the life of your account. Offer ends July 31st, 2015, and is for new customers only. So go and sign up now to get a 2 terabyte, 14-day free trial and pay-as-you-go for the lifetime of your account. Just visit CashFly.com, C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y, and let them know that you heard about them here on 5x5. So everyone's recording yeah and so is the call here we go three two one we recorded this episode on july 16th 2015 this is on the grid episode 124 this week we are all back and we're talking about systems because everything is systems here we go you didn't last long in Philadelphia, Matt. <laughs> I'm back, though.
1: You're back in Philly now. Yeah. You just jetted up to New York for a quick business trip, you young professional
0: you. Uh, I had a good time in New York. Saw friends, saw partners, mm-hmm. saw friend of the show, Satchel Drakes. I got to hang out with him. Ah, oh, lucky. Went to some meetings. I had a good time. And I will say, I kind of enjoy, when I'm done, coming home. It's nice.
1: Yeah, yeah you know what? New York is a nice place to visit. It's what I've always said about it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I've been telling you that for a long time. Great
2: place to visit. Mm-hmm how have you guys been I, i'm doing well I, yeah Dan, you're back yeah i'm back because uh, i wasn't here last week because i was kind of taking a week off from a lot of stuff it was a good week to just kind of uh decompress taking a week off being married well yeah and an extra bit of time off from being married like infinity time well yeah you never know what the future holds i could be married again who knows so that's it, Dan. You're good. Yeah, you good? Yeah, yeah, I'm good. Uh, the first part of the week was kind of rough, but after that, it uh, I, I finally got into a groove of just kind of like living by myself, which is very weird because I haven't done that in an exceptionally long time. Um, yeah, I can imagine. It's got to be strange. Yeah, and like the uh, the oddest thing for me is the amount of quiet there is because there are there's no noises here anymore except for me, which is just very odd. Uh, so that was an adjustment. But aside from that, like I started to get kind of into the groove of it. Uh, I also uh, started to purchase th- some things to fill back the, uh, fill the apartment back up with stuff. So, you know, like getting new lamps, uh, getting new plates and bowls. And it's just me making the decisions and it's kind of like my place. So it's been pretty good. That and uh, spending time with a lot of friends and family and that sort of thing. So it was just like, uh, it, overall, it was a really good week. Do you want Matt and I to
1: come out there and make a bunch of noise? Yes. Maybe uh, yell at you for putting, leaving toilet seat up or something else? We can do that if you want.
2: Yeah, absolutely.
1: Anytime you guys want to come and do that.
2: <laughs> we can come
0: take your silverware too if you want. No. Your lighting fixtures. No, no, no. If don't. there's any
1: other crap you want to replace, just let us know. We'll
2: take it off your hands.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, we are, we care about you that much. We are here for you. Cool.
2: No, I'm, I am getting rid of, like we've talked about this before. I'm getting rid of a lot of s- uh, the old furniture because it's just like old crappy stuff from Ikea and purging a lot of just like the crappy stuff that just was around to just hold and display books and, and albums and all that sort of nonsense well if you want to get
0: rid of and purge that old crappy Xbox One of yours you go ahead and let me know Nope. and I, sorry, hmm? nope huh? sorry, what, uh uh-uh. uh all that, that sentimental Xbox One of yours, mm-hmm. all those memories you want to get rid of it I'm, I'm here to help bud, uh, anything you need I'm gonna say no the real takeaway here is we are good friends
1: is is what I want everyone to take away from this. Very thoughtful, caring uh, friends. Yes.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: No, I was going to no. say, no, thanks to you guys for kind of like, let me take a week off. And above all, thanks for understanding and that sort of crap. And last thing I'll say is that I completely agree with some of the stuff that you were saying in the last o- episode, Andy, where like you're the kind of like the romantic in the sense that like divorce is one of those things that kind of feels like the... Uh, it's almost like the end of the world and like the worst thing that could happen. And I've always been that sort of way. So the fact that it happened, like it was really jarring at first. And you, and you guys knew a lot of the details. But um, like now that it's over, it's uh, not so bad. But it's also the sort of thing that I definitely don't recommend. <laughs> <laughs> so, you
1: heard it here on the show, folks. Yeah. Yeah. Listen, on the grid does not recommend getting divorced unless
2: you're already married to somebody you don't like. And then you should definitely get a divorce. Yes. So, yeah, I, I will say that it was a shitty experience, but now that it's over, not too bad, because there's wonderful guys like you. Beautiful. Anyway, I also consider us understanding
0: and crap, so anytime you need <laughs> fun. bud. <laughs>
2: uh, well,
1: I, I got a new credit card today, which I think is also pretty big news. Ooh what does it have a new limit or something what's so exciting about this well no, i was mostly joking but actually this is kind of what i want to talk about in the show um i i was curious do, do either of you like uh i'm a certain group of people that are like they, they play the credit card game mm. uh, do, you know what I mean, do you know what i mean by that do you guys know someone that plays the credit card game
0: i think i know what you mean you might have to clarify but i think i have a pretty yep. good idea and I think, I think i can picture those friends
2: yeah and please please do clarify because there might be different yeah. games you never know
0: Exactly. Yeah. So maybe we're talking... So for
1: those of you that have not don't know a person like this, maybe you're still in college or something and haven't quite gotten older, there's a certain group of people that uh, take great joy in basically approaching the, what I would consider to be a horrible, confusing, terrible world of credit cards and financial management. And they turn it into some sort of game where they try and basically... Get as much value out of uh, their time in the system as possible, and what that usually equates to, I think, is signing up for lots and lots of credit cards and getting all of the sign-up bonuses when you sign up, and getting the like you spend a certain amount of money in the first couple months and you get some big point sort of allocation, and uh, just doing that. And once that card has got all the sort of bonus points out of it, you basically just like you know keep it going, but don't put anything on it, and you get new credit cards and you kind of keep the system going. Eventually, you have logins to all the credit card companies and you've accrued 500,000 credit card points and you fly first class everywhere and you know it, it's this kind of interesting way of and f- for the people that I know that do it like it's not it's not that they're doing it like as a money saving they're not like the coupon clippers right they're not trying to save money they're doing it because it's kind of a fun game like to see how much they can possibly get out of the system and the, and the benefit of course is they do end up you know getting a lot of value out of it and um my position on this until very recently, it was just, I don't want to participate in any of that. It seems very complicated. I don't want to mess something up and forget about some card and end up with some weird debt. And it just seems uh, kind of high risk and and just like too much to manage. Um, but I recently did decide to get a credit card. It's got the points in it and it's going to be all, it's got an annual fee for the first time. It's a card with annual fee. So I have to actually make up the fee in rewards for it to make any sense. Yep. And uh, so I'm diving into that world and uh, it's going to be interesting, I think.
0: Why do you want to talk about this? I'm curious. I definitely don't play that game and I kind of think of credit card as a kind of necessary thing I have to have in my life in order to build some sort of credit. So I use it like I try to remember to use it for like any sort of big spending just specifically so I can pay it off immediately. But otherwise, like I would prefer to live my life where I only pay for the things I can afford. And like if like if I could, I'd probably like buy a whole house in one lump sum and not have a mortgage if that was if that was a choice i said that for so many years i was like <laughs> i was like i never want to have... i know i'm sure i can't do it but i would like i like the idea of that i'll just show up and i'll find a house and i'll say like here is a hundred thousand dollars i don't i don't know where i'm finding a house for a hundred thousand dollars but here's can find a place in philly for a hundred thousand dollars and then we, I just hand a bag of money and they give me the house and then I just own it. And then I tell people to get off of my property. That's the thing. Seems like the way to go. Yeah, no, I, I wanted to do that for the longest time. And exactly what I wanted
1: to do that was right around the time I paid off all my student loans. And I was like, fuck this game. I'm done <laughs> forever. Like, I don't want to have to do this again. It's just like the, the loan specifically for school really hung over my head like, you know, a weird dark little cloud. It, just, it upset me to have him there all the time. And when I paid those off, I was like, you know what? I can just never have to do this ever again. I don't. There's no reason I have to take out a loan, have to take out a mortgage, and and even though I am playing this sort of points game now, I guess um, I'm, I'm not. I have no plans to ever spend more money on the card than I can possibly pay back every single month. It's not like I'm going to actually, you know, have a credit line running anywhere. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, I'm, I'm curious to talk about it because. Um, first of all, it's been on my mind because this is happening to me and that's what we talk about in the show. And also it's kind of a weird design thing, right? Like it's this system that if you are savvy, you can pretty much always, I mean, you definitely can always come out on top. I mean, I've never had a credit card company I've given even a dime to at this point in my life. Mm -hmm. Uh, I've had multiple credit cards and they've given me reward points and I've paid every bill on time and never accrued a single dollar of interest because uh, I never spent more money than I had. I basically treated it like a debit card, as you're describing, Matt. Like, yeah. don't spend the money which you've already got in the bank. And, uh, you know, so they've just basically given me free money over the years. And I think there's a lot of people out there that are like that. And so there's that interesting thing is that it's a system you can kind of play uh, if you have the savviness, and frankly, if you have the money, to afford to pay back all the bills, if it's not a necessary thing for you to have credit. And the the trade-off for that, which is something that I am conflicted about, is that... These companies exist on the backs of all the people that are not those people. The only reason they can afford to offer these reward systems and to have these cards that give you all these crazy points back is because of all the people that can't afford to pay back the bill every month and are getting hit with enormous interest charges and are basically paying for this company to exist. So in a lot of ways, I feel like these companies are just super evil. uh, And for me to take advantage of that system is just through one layer of remove, me taking advantage of all those people that... Actually, have credit card debt and can't pay it back, which is upsetting. But at the same time, I've decided to do it. So, <laughs> after being afflicted about it for a long time, that's kind of the road I'm heading down. I think. So you're evil now. Yeah, I guess I'm I evil about, now.
0: I think about it as like, uh actually, I I've, I've, I haven't really ever clarified this in my brain until right now. But like, I've thought this way about alcohol companies before, uh where like I always find it funny where you'll you'll see the the commercial that's like a crazy party and they'll say drink responsibly. And the reality is, like, if you if everybody did drink responsibly, they wouldn't really be nearly as profitable because, like, the huge majority of the money that they make tends to be people who buy way too much of it. Uh, they'd never be that profitable if it was just people who actually did drink responsibly and bought uh, a six pack every two weeks or something. A very responsible six pack. Yeah. I think of it kind of like that. Like, yeah, you're making a ton of money on people that are abusing your thing or like, I mean, even like a Candy Crush thing. Yeah, I'm sure they would tell you they'd like you to be financially responsible, but, like, man, they're making the most money off the people who are just, like, completely addicted to it and tapping the thing over and over again, basically playing the slot
2: machine, and they, their brain is powered by the rewards. Yeah, the the, the rewards that are included with it, like you are saying, like, being able to fly first class and some of these other perks, like... There's so many of those things that you can already get through reward programs from other avenues. Like if you want to get uh, free plane tickets, you can just do that by the rewards programs of airlines themselves, and you don't have to rely on a credit card for it. So it just it like it's always bothered me so much that these credit card. Companies want to provide these things as incentives to be able to get a credit line out of you, where you can still get these from other avenues. It's just like more legwork, I guess, uh, because there's instead of having a buffet of options, rewards that you can get, you have to go to each individual avenue for them. So. I've never wanted to get credit cards solely based off of these programs, uh, because I just kind of feel like they're it's just them just trying to sell something to you. I'd rather just go in and get a reasonable credit line with like all the appropriate checks and balances that you want to be able to have to have a good credit line, and that's it. Well, actually, one, one thing that's a big difference between what I
0: said and what you said is... Uh I feel – I don't know if this is true, but I feel like the people who use credit card rewards are not uh, the same people who are, like, being rewarded by the slot machine. Like, I don't think the people who are being irresponsible are the ones who are actually gaining the rewards. I think it's the people uh, – I think it's the opposite. It's, like, uh, people are using the credit card as essentially a loan and then not being able to pay it back, and they're actually probably not benefiting from that yeah. weird yeah, system. Exactly. Uh, whereas, like, the the reward thing on the, on the gambling analogy is uh, – that is the damaging part. That's the problem. But – I don't want to get too far into that.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's a technicality. But I mean, the people that are benefiting from this are like they're like I said, it's like a puzzle for them to solve. Like they're kind of trying to figure out where if they can back up the most points. And honestly, it is shocking how much, you know, it's not money. It's, you know, money equivalent, right? How much uh, equivalent value you can generate, Mm -hmm. Um, even if you're not spending that much money by doing this. Um, I I do have a friend of mine that has uh, 400,000 points on one particular credit card system. And those points, if they were all accrued through cash back on purchases, would take roughly spending $400,000, which he definitely, 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 definitely did not do. Um, Orders of magnitude less money was spent on that credit card than that. So, and those points can be like, you know, an international plane ticket to any sort of major city with like a a big airport uh, is probably on the order of like, 10,000 to 30,000 points so you can imagine how far 40,000 points goes uh and that was you know just not changing his behavior his betting behavior at all just changing you know the way things are tallied up and the sort of cards he's using to play the systems mm-hmm. um and so honestly seeing him do that is kind of what has made me be interested in kind of diving into this and i tried to do i did some part of the thing part of the reason it's so complicated is that you can't you can't ever really guess how much value you're going to get out of it, right? Like you say, okay, I'm going to get this many points for, you know, here's how much I tend to spend every year uh, on these kinds of purchases. So I'll get this many points every year. What is that actually worth? Uh, And, you know, if you get just the regular cash back, you get like, you know, one point uh, is worth a cent. So basically you're getting 1% cash back on everything, um, which is a very common thing. You can get lots of credit cards that have that. Uh, And when you transfer those to other systems and use them to buy hotel rooms or plane tickets, sometimes you can get up to like, you know, 10 or 20 times the value out of them, depending on when you renew them and sort of what the rates are and what the sort of rules are for renewal. Um, So there's all sorts of weird ways. I don't want this to become a podcast where we talk about how to cheat the systems, but suffice it to say, they exist and there are ways you can really get a lot of value out of this. And to go back to my sort of ethical quandary, the reason I've decided to do it is because me not doing it isn't preventing these credit card companies from taking advantage of people, right? Like their income is entirely coming from this other chunk of the population and that's why they exist. And if I didn't participate and get my credit card with them, uh, it's not like they're going to stop doing that.
0: Uh, I'm not really feeding the system that way. Actually, I I do want to clarify one point before we dive into the, the, just the general topic of it is that's not the only way like they do charge merchants a percentage. Uh, that's that's why they want you to spend so much money. Actually, I don't know. I would be interested to know how much, uh, is like them hitting people with interest fees and, uh, whatever like whatever other charges come from not paying the amount of money that you owe but like also everybody every merchant is being charged like what three percent or something that's why they want you to spend so much money that's why they want you to go out and use the credit card
1: yeah and and amex is the one that i know has the highest percentage uh, they charge merchants which is why a lot of places don't take Amex because they're not yeah. going to pay whatever those merchant fees are but that's also why amex has i think the most uh maybe sought after member member group like their their rewards are very like bougie and and high-end because they can afford to pay for it based on that yeah that's true i don't know what the actual breakdown is of, of that all this talk of financial management and i was thinking you know this is this is a complicated world as we sort of discussed and if you need a new sort of perspective on maybe how to manage your finances Uh, There's a place you can go, and that place is, of course, lynda.com. Do you mean that online learning platform with over 3,000 on-demand video courses? That's the one I'm talking about. And you may know Lynda as the place where you can watch a Photoshop tutorial or something, or, you know, how to use Excel. But they also have maybe some more practical skills, uh, like basically personal finance tips. I'm looking here at five personal finance tips by Jim Stice. Uh, and just a reminder, people, all the people making these videos are industry-recognized professionals. These are not just randos
0: out there. Because, <laughs> I mean, they do say it's about technology, creative skills, and business. Guess what? Finance is an important part of business. And you can learn it on Linux.com. You are a business. You're you're not just a businessman. You're a business man. You can, <laughs> <laughs> As Jay-Z once said. "What's one of his best lines. It's really good. Cool. You're a business man. It's better when you say the comma, I agree. For a free 10-day trial, you can visit lynda.com slash OTG. That's lynd acom slash OTG. Not how Andy's mom spells it. And I never brought this up. My mom is also named Linda, not spelled with a Y. I actually knew that. Yeah, well, there you go.
1: So I'm, I'm looking now at these other accounting videos and these other sort of personal finance videos. A lot of them are by Jim Stice. Now I'm looking him up to verify that he is, in fact, an expert. And here I see that he is a professor of accounting at BYU. So uh, you could either pay to go get a degree and learn from this man, or you could just go get a free trial
0: and take all his knowledge. There you go. You can do that. You can master Excel. You can learn negotiation tactics. You can build a website. You can boost your Photoshop skills. That is the thing we probably thought you were supposed to do. Boost your Photoshop skills. You go to lynda.com, and you feed your curious mind.
1: lynda.com, suck up Jim's knowledge. (laughs) Matt, what if, I, what if I'm getting confused and I'm watching the video and I, I can't keep up when they're giving me so many good facts too fast?
0: Oh, well, this is perfect. Like, not only are you learning from these top experts, but you can browse them by transcript and you can search for an answer and then you get to skip to that point. And you can take notes. You can refer to them later. You can download them. You can watch them on the go. You can create and save playlists. You can learn at your own pace because they are structured so you can watch them from start to finish and consume them in bite-sized pieces. What do you think of that, Andy?
1: Yeah, that's, that's a big feature. People don't realize how transparent it is to provide transcripts because you're basically letting people just skip around your videos wherever they want. So you can't put any fluff content in there. You can't put any advertising. It's got to be just good, rich content. And I think that's what
0: Linda, Linda is standing behind by allowing you to search by topic. Your lynda.com membership will give you unlimited access to training on hundreds of topics, all at one flat rate. Whether you're looking to become an industry expert, you're passionate about a hobby, or you just want to learn something new, I want you to visit lynda.com slash OTG and sign up for your free 10-day trial. Suck up Jim's knowledge. But let's get into the, the – I, I assume where you're going is, like, the idea of these systems, people designing these systems, and, and how how one might use them without being an evil human being. Like, even if you – let's cut that out of the equation and just say this is what we're talking about. We're talking about taking advantage of this even though you know it's detrimental to some people. And there are lots of systems like this, like you
1: described. It's, it's just a matter of um – you know, I guess my, my ultimate question for myself is, am I just, you know, trying to hand wave and justify something that I actually just want to do selfishly? Um, and this can be applied to signing up for some credit card point system versus, you know, buying a product that hurts people, whether that's alcohol or a firearm or something else, um, or participating in any system that, uh, you know, doesn't, that does a lot of bad things. Um, you can even stretch this all the way and say that, you know, choosing to live in a country where... At, of your tax money goes towards the military industrial complex. Um, That's a choice to participate in that system. It's one that's a lot harder to change, but that's the reality that at least the three of us are living in. Um, So I guess the question is, you know, given the design of these systems, uh, how
0: do you kind of figure out what your role should be in them? So tell me why you land, why do you land on it is okay because it exists and it's going to keep existing and so you might as well hop on because it's not going away? Uh, yeah, and I guess, so I, there's, a, there's a slight
1: difference between uh, like the buying a bunch of alcohol or something, or, or say, you know, buying chicken at Chick-fil-A when you know that they're run by some crazy religious psychopaths that, you know, hate the gays. Sure. Um, you know, in, in those other two situations, you're actively giving your money, you're contributing to some organization who's overall footprint you don't agree with for whatever reason. I don't even want to get political about it. Like maybe you love Chick-fil-A and you hate the gays and you want to go buy a chicken. That's fine. You probably don't want to shop at, you know, the Hillary Clinton's online store. Um, <laughs> so whatever, but the point is you're, you're you're supporting something financially that you don't believe in. Um, and this credit card thing is a little bit different because, like, again, unless I do something wrong, like the net the net of my interaction with this credit card company will be they will be giving me things constantly. And I will greatly uh, outpace my annual fee uh, and I will not accrue any credit uh, things. And so I guess they're getting money from me going and getting the merchant fees for the things I'm paying for. But um, I still think the net for me on the books would be a negative for them. And maybe I'm wrong about that. Maybe maybe, Matt, you're right. Maybe the the merchant fees are much higher than I'm thinking and the math works out that uh, I don't get as many rewards as I'm thinking and this is just all profit for them. Um, But there is that difference there. And so I guess the question is like, yeah, that's my justification for doing this now. Um, But more than that, it's like uh, lately I've been I've been just thinking about the idea of being kind of stuck in a system that you don't really have any hope of breaking out of or not participating in. Um, I think for a lot of people, we could, again, relate this to the citizenship thing, like if you're in a country uh, and your family's here and your friends are here and your life is here and moving is expensive uh, you're probably not likely to leave to go to a different country because you don't agree with how your tax dollars are being spent in a certain country so yeah. we'll, we'll count that as something that is a system you're basically stuck in uh, unless that is your highest value unless you you care about your tax dollars being spent in, in alignment with your values more than being around your family and more than being around your friends and you know more than keeping your job um, you're, you're kind of stuck there so given your sort of st- the fact that you're stuck in a system like that, what is the best thing to do? Is the best thing to do to try and just do what you can, given the limits of that system, to do good? Is the best thing to do to campaign ceaselessly to change that system you're a part of? Is the best thing to do to either get out of it and quit, and if you don't, you're a hypocrite, and you should just kind of accept that this is what's happening?
0: Does that make sense? It does make sense. It's it's like, do you do the best with the situation that you have, or you try to change the situation, which may... Maybe that never happens. Maybe that's a fruitless effort. And I guess that's another, that'd be another debate. Can you change any of this? Is it worth your effort? Or would would you just like, would it be a fruitless effort if you died before anything ever happened? And then, I mean, I've thought about that even just like, you know, we've had podcasts talking about urban planning and working in government. We, we, you know, when we talked to Gatamba, he worked in Hartford at some point. I've thought about that and be like, maybe that's a thing I should do with my life because then I can actually maybe affect things. And ultimately where I land on it is like, maybe I could, maybe it would be something, but I think I would mostly be unhappy all the time. It would feel like nothing is happening. I'd probably design for a lot of arguments that would go nowhere and be very sad. And like, ultimately I will die one day and I don't want to take on something that big, which is, I don't know. Is that a terrible attitude to have? Or is it just like a realistic approach to your life? And ultimately you're talking about yourself. You got to live your life. You have to be happy with your existence and there's an interesting way to maybe summarize this or at least look at it from a
1: maybe a more practical example um there's a documentary that i was shown in college for one of my my courses and the documentary is about uh this one particular boy scout whose name is Stephen something i don't remember i'll have to find it on google later put it in the show notes who um for his entire time in the boy scouts and he spent his his entire sort of childhood there he started very young eventually became an eagle scout um, he was sort of campaigning for the Boy Scouts to um, re- sort of remove their ban on letting in gay people, uh both in terms of uh, children that were in the Scouts and also management leaders, you know, the the parents and things that were involved at in the high levels. And this whole documentary was about this kid basically on this mission. And after watching this, when I was in college, this was you know I guess seven years ago, eight years ago, I watched this. Um, you know, we had a discussion about it in class and I found myself on one side of the argument, which was that I watched this whole thing and I was so struck by this person's, and he starts out a kid, but at the end, he's like, you know, 18, 19, and he's an Eagle Scout. So at that point, you, I think you'd be critical of his decisions. I was yeah. so struck by this person's like hypocrisy. And there's lots of shots of him, you know, going to pride marches dressed up as a Boy Scout and talking about how the Boy Scouts have to let people in and everyone cheers. And for me, it was just like, this person has dedicated so much time and surely so much money to this particular organization that he feels so strongly should do something different. And the most powerful thing he could do with his voice if he cares actually this strongly about it is to just leave the Boy Scouts, just stop putting all this time and effort into it, continue his sort of campaign against them from the outside, and, you know, cease giving what he's giving. And I my sort of reference point for this was if so many other Boy Scouts felt the same way he did, which it seemed from the video, there were lots of people that sort of sympathized with him. If there was a mass, you know, exodus from the Boy Scouts, maybe they would change their policies. Now, I think now they have actually changed their policies. This documentary, I think, was made in like the early 2000s or something. So the documentary, you know, covers his entire sort of trials to try and get it done. And by the end of the movie, he hasn't gotten it done. And I felt very strongly, I was like, this just makes no sense for this person to be supporting this organization so overtly. And yet, at the same time, trying to change one of its fundamental values and talk about how wrong it is. Um, and almost every single person in the entire class was completely against me and thought I was a madman, um, which has really stuck with me, including some of my very close friends. I've had this is like the biggest argument I've had with some people that are very sort of important to me in my life. And they were like, that's preposterous. You can't expect to leave everything that you don't agree with completely. And calling for change from the inside is a totally valid and sometimes the most effective way to uh to sort of actually change something you know people from the outside criticizing only goes so far maybe from the inside you can do more
0: yeah it's this weird situation where it's almost like you have to assess the percentage of the system which is wrong and decide like like in my brain it's almost like is 50 like was this system designed 50 percent poorly and 50 percent well that would be the hardest decision is it 51 percent poor then i'm gone i'm just gonna leave and I don't see any point in changing it. Like I, I feel that way all the time. Like when you are talking about like um, moderately religious people who advocate for change within their religion, which happens. I feel like that has has been a weird debate uh, pre the legalization of gay marriage. Well, it's a long thing. I mean, it all. It's yeah. I guess everything is a, a debate about um gay rights in our country the past 10 years so
1: can we talk about how great it is that we can say the phrase pre-legalization the of gay
0: marriage it's it's amazing that's amazing god
1: damn
0: Uh, (sighs) but that was always one that kind of blew me away when you'd see like um you know you'd see a tv show with like here is the the pastor that is started a congregation that is good with gay marriage and he's advocating to change the religion and like in one way you're like this is Great, because here's a person who stands for, you know, human rights and the things that I believe in. And, like, wouldn't it be great if all the systems stand for human rights and they should all change? But then my, the bigger voice in my head is kind of like, what? Like, why are you participating in a system that's, like, always going to be structured around something like that? Like, here's a thing that's well, kind of designed not to change. And why? why do you feel like you should advocate for change within it when you could um go live your life and do whatever you want to do and um enjoy the freedom that so you're you're allowed uh and you don't have to be oppressed here you don't have to do it you can just go enjoy which that when you make the citizenship argument i'm like well that's too hard i couldn't ever possibly do it but because i'm not attached to any sort of religious base i'm like I, then leave it's you're free do whatever you want it's great the world is great and for a lot of people, leaving their religion would be way harder than leaving their country, for what it's worth. I think it would worth. be. I think it's... I mean,
2: that's yeah. my perspective, because I didn't really have it. But Dan was about to argue with me. Yeah, no. Uh, I. Well, I don't want to... Okay, so I want to bring up a different angle. Uh, I think the whole... The, the religion example is actually a really good one because like if there were a pastor who was completely okay with gay marriage, wanted to be able to be an advocate for a change within whatever religious organization that they were part of to be able to bring this change on and have it kind of be uh organization wide. Uh, like, I think that's completely valid because uh, to them, they don't want to uh, give up Their faith in whatever God being beings whatever that they believe in, and also uh, the the group that they get to be able to share that with. Like if it were a a single church, uh, that's like saying that they have to leave their congregation, people that they've uh, been able to cultivate uh, long lasting relationships with uh, over a single stance, and that's where it becomes complicated because. Uh, they still want to be able to participate in that. Like they still want to be able to preach. They still want to be able to like have that passion in their life, but also at the same time uh, advocate for a thing that they think should change. And the thing is that like religious organizations are, are not things that like are totally against change, it's just really slow. And that's the same thing with something like the Boy Scouts, where there is eventually change, it just takes a really long time. So uh, I think it's sometimes a mentality where a lot of us feel like, okay, this this needs to change right now, uh, why doesn't it change right now? If it doesn't change right now, then like screw this, I'm out. Well, I, uh, one argument I would make is that uh, the religious organization is
0: absolutely against change forever, but the people within it grow with their society and um, can't help but adapt and like, yeah, deal for their fellow man or woman. And they they change personally. Yeah, I would agree. I think the actual religion as
1: an entity is very specifically designed not to change. It's kind of the founding principle of almost every major religion I'm aware of. It's just that eventually when enough of your constituents have become just naturally more progressive, as time moves on, you can no longer say well, the things you want to say and not look crazy. So it's like a they're being begrudgingly dragged into the future. They're not changing of their own
2: accord. Well, it, it's not so much that. I mean, a lot of, uh, well, okay, I could speak on uh, different uh, portions of Christianity that uh, it's not so much that it's completely against change. Usually it's uh, at a point where it says, like, here's what the religious text says. Uh, this is how we're interpreting it right now. And then this is going to be doctrine for however long. And what happens is that the, the way that they interpret the text changes. So it's not so much like the, the Bible or anything like that is the rule book. And there's only one way to read it. And that once you've read it, like, you know, all the rules they are not allowed to change, whatever. It's mostly uh, upon the interpretation, which is why it gets so muddy. And that's why people get so passionate about it. Because from one angle, you could say that, um, like, oh, no, this is the way it is. This is the way it's interpreted. Like, the, the, that's the only way it's going to go. And then when somebody brings up a, a, an argument or an alternative to that, uh, that's almost like saying, like, everything that you've believed in for the longest time is not valid. That's usually how it turns out. So, But, but those interpretations of text like that, that mm-hmm. to me is the,
1: like, perfect example of working backwards to try and justify something that you don't actually want to change. Right? Like within our lifetime, the Pope was telling people in AIDS ridden countries that if they use condoms, they're going to hell, Uh, which to me is like a fucking enormous crime against humanity that I can't believe was going on. I mean, until like the most recent Pope, basically. Uh, The Pope before his pope was a little bit more liberal and kind of didn't address the issue. But Mm -hmm. three popes back, you're looking at like, don't use a condom, you're going to hell, Uh, whatever, to, you know, AIDS research and and medical things. Um, So. I think that when things change, it's because, you know, like I said, the the people start to agree because of general sort of progress of sort of the average person that certain behavior is no longer acceptable. And so the best way to justify that is, oh, we're going to interpret the same text a different way. So we're not giving up on our, this is the one text to rule them all thing. That's still what this whole religion is based on. Um, we're just going to change our interpretation a little bit because we don't want to be, seem out of vogue with the sort of current uh trends that people are sort of widely recognizing as essential and honestly this exact same thing happens with like people that look at the constitution and say we should follow that thing forever as if people that wrote a document 300 years ago were the perfect architects of a country and we should continue Mm -hmm. to listen even though they had no idea the kinds of problems we face now
2: yeah yeah yeah. no i mean i I completely agree and i I think that issue that ends up with a lot of these different organizations, government, religion, like, oh, whatever. Um, I think it's an issue mostly around that these things are run by human beings. And, that <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and like, it's not so much that like the, the rule book is solid. It's just that uh, people pass through time and yes, things change and evolve and progress and that's fine. But uh, it becomes like the boy Scouts. Uh, it, there was this whole mechanical thing that was constructed to say like oh these are the morals of the boy scouts this is what we're always going to stand for and eventually when they change or like there's a proposed change they just look back at whatever they constructed back in the day and say like well no no no, no, no this is the way it's supposed to be like we're not like if if we change it everything's going to fall apart And, you know, when change comes and like with the Boy Scouts, when they allow uh, gays into the organization, things didn't fall apart. So a lot of times it's mostly this this whole thing with just normal human beings feeling like, well, this is the way it's always been. If it changes, it's it's either not going to be the same or it's just not going to be there anymore. So absolutely. It's it's something around just like normal people having very normal emotions about things that are technically supposed to be rules, but technically should change over time but there's just a massive amount of fear when that has to happen like rules shouldn't necessarily change over time like the way that they're written
0: actually in in some ways the saving grace is that we are human and our opinions can change even though we're oftentimes averse to change uh steadily and slowly they do like the thing written on a piece of paper that doesn't actually change we just decide that it's not suiting our needs anymore it's not correct it's unjust It's about the humans changing it and then deciding that you can throw that piece of paper away or add an amendment, which is a thing that we have.
1: We are talking about systems here, folks. And let me tell you, if you want to talk about systems that are horrible and maliciously designed to take advantage of people, let's talk about selling mattresses. Mattresses, you say? Yes, mattresses. Some people don't realize this. Mattresses are one of the most corrupt, horrible industries in existence. If you want to buy a mattress, you are completely out of luck. Because here's what they do. The mattress companies have such a monopoly over the market of people selling mattresses because of the sort of uh, pipeline of resources required to make them. And what they do is they actually, in many ways that are actually completely illegal, they manipulate the market and the advertising. Um, So one example of this is if you go and try and comparison shop mattresses right? The Comparison shopping is one of the best things we as consumers have available to us. It allows us to find a better product at a better price and support the company making the best thing and then the company that's failing will fail. That's the whole like sort of tenet of capitalism. If you are buying a mattress and you're trying to comparison shop, you will quickly find that the same mattress sold in different places will have completely different names. So you go online and you read about some pillow top queen's butt super white awesome mattress and you go look up the pillow top queen's butt somewhere else and that thing is gonna have a different name you're not gonna be able to find it anywhere else you're trying to compare things you get totally stuck it is horrible and unfortunately there's no there's
0: no option oh wait a minute i actually have an option for you andy oh you ever heard of casper the ghost the friendly ghost not the friendly ghost casper is an online retailer of premium mattresses for a fraction of the price okay well i mean How much of a fraction of price are we talking about? We're talking $500 for a twin size mattress and 950 for a king size mattress. You compare that to the average, that's outstanding. Under a thousand dollars for king size
1: mattress is crazy. And if you're, I know we have a young audience and if you're out there and you've never bought a mattress uh, and you think this sounds like a lot of money, you should just go, amble into one of these horrible mattress stores and see how much it costs to buy a reasonable mattress. And you'll find it is as much as a small car. Uh, So under a thousand dollars seems like pretty amazing. So Matt, these gotta be shitty mattresses then, right?
0: No. They provide resilient and long-lasting comfort. They're one-of-a-kind. It's a new hybrid mattress. They've combined two technologies, latex foam and memory foam, just the right sink, just the right bounce. They come together for better nights and brighter days. But the point is, it's an obsessively engineered mattress at a shockingly fair price. So surely then, at the very least, they're going to have tons of different models of
1: mattresses to choose from and I'll have to try and figure out whether I want the Regent or the the, the Cloud Sphere. Uh, That's probably the case, right?
0: It's deadly simple. I've looked this up online. There's a twin. There's a twin XL. There's a full, a queen, a king, and a California king. That is it. Basically, they sell a
1: mattress in every size. Only one mattress. You know why they only sell one mattress? Because that's all you need, people. You don't it have is. to go comparison shop with a bunch of other things. This is sounding pretty great, Matt. It's sounded really great. I do have one major concern, sure. uh, which is that a mattress seems like the kind of thing you definitely want to try before you buy. So how, how can I justify spending even even the very reasonable price of a Casper mattress before I've slept upon it and, and laid
0: myself down. You can get a risk-free trial and return policy. You try sleeping on a Casper for 100 days, free delivery, painless returns. What do you think of that? You can try it for 100 days. They say it's risk-free, but what about the risk of me sleeping better and then being
1: happier in my life?
0: Not only that, they're made in America. That sounds pretty good. Uh, They offer free delivery. They offer that 100-day return. Uh, Statistically, lying in bed for four minutes in a showroom has no correlation to whether it's right for you. That's why Casper has turned the buying process into a risk-free experience. Casper understands the importance of truly trying out a mattress in reality. You spend a third of your life on that. Gotta get it right. Yeah, seriously, people. And yeah, you made a very good point, Matt. Laying
1: on a mattress in a showroom for four minutes and trying to decide if that's a good thing to sleep on for the night is like going to a, a restaurant and like licking the outside of a piece of food and being like, yeah, I want to eat this every day for the rest of my life for eight hours a day. Mm-hmm. We're not joking, people. I know we have a young audience. I bet a lot of you, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and hazard a guess. I bet a lot of you are in prime new mattress mode. You, you still have your college mattress, don't you? And you've got a job now. You're making a little bit of money. And you're thinking, maybe I should replace this mattress, but this one seems fine. Your life can be so much better than sleeping on that affordable Swedish rectangular piece of crap. Uh, you should, up, you deserve it. Get a Casper mattress. You, you spend a third of your life on this thing. And for the prices we're talking about, you know, this is the price of a good pair of shoes. This is the price of a few nights out at restaurants and bars if you live in a major city. This is not a ton of money, people, and you do spend a third of your life on it.
0: So we already know it's a great deal because Casper is cutting the cost of dealing with resellers and showrooms and passing that savings directly onto you. What gets even better if you use our offer code? You can get $50 towards any mattress purchase by visiting casper.com slash grid and using the code GRID. Terms and conditions apply, so thank you to Casper for supporting 5x5 and On The Grid. Do it. Prove. Prove to Casper that we have a great pool with young people that buy mattresses. Casper.com slash grid.
1: Thank you. Am I crazy for thinking this like aversion to change? I don't know. I, I think from honestly, what we're talking about, this aversion to change comes ultimately on all of these issues down to just like family, right? Like if you come from a family where, uh, you know, a religion was something you were raised in, uh, I don't think that I think a lot of people in those situations don't necessarily care much for the religion. They you don't really carry the way, you know, they, they but they care about the ritual, about the fact that their mother and their grandmother and mm-hmm. their siblings always went to church and there was a sense of community and family. And uh, same goes for people that are, are, you know, big gun people. I think very oftentimes you grew up and, you know, you, your first introduction to guns was hunting with your dad and you have always fond memories and it's a way of life for you. It's just like a tool. Um, and so, you know, I think that all of these issues, these like change-averse things come down to like, this is the way I was raised, which is a very, very powerful thing to try and work against with logic and reason and statistics and, oh, by the way, if you own a gun, the most likely thing that's going to get shot with that is you, um, statistically, that doesn't, you can't hear that when, when, when you're focused on is the fact that this is like, it's ingrained in you. It's part of who you are in a way that is very, very hard, I think, to, to possibly, you know, criticize at all. But this brings me to something which is also on my list of topics to talk about, which is very related which is that uh, I, didn't, I did not expect to get here, I should say, from, from credit cards, but we did, we arrived here. I, am I crazy for thinking that I, I, I don't, and like, this, this, this thing we're talking about, this, this change aversion, this affection for the past, this affection for how you were raised, is like the biggest force that blocks progress? Like if you think, Just think about the term progressive, right? If you consider yourself a progressive, who in their right mind could possibly say that's a bad thing? Like, right? We're talking about progress, moving all of society forward. Who would would not identify as a progressive? And the answer is lots of people, because lots of people think things were better, you know, 50 years ago, and they like to go back to all of the things society will let them go back to. And you say, hey, wait a minute, you know, that long ago, people, women couldn't vote and uh, the civil rights movement hadn't happened. They're like, well, those things are fine. We can keep those. But everything else was really better back then. We should go back to that. And you can't do that. It's not how this works. Um, So there's so many people that just, they don't think progress generally is a good thing. Which seems crazy to me, right? How can those people not look at, like, the history of this country of, you know, more of a grander picture of history and not realize they're going to be on the wrong side of every issue? Like, when in history we decided, oh, that group of people we gave more rights to, we should really take those back. That was a mistake.
0: When has that ever happened? It has not. It has never happened. I always wondered that, too. Like, what's what side of history do you want to be on? And, like, what, yeah. don't, can't you go back in time in your brain and be like, ah, uh, yeah, my grandpa was right about that women not voting thing i guess uh we should have listened look and at this, how
1: this has got to be my naive youth because i just feel like it makes absolutely no sense to like and i know there's lots of very educated people that know how history works and know all these things and still don't think they should be able to get married and still don't want to recognize trans people and like all of this stuff they just don't care about and they think it's wrong and against their sort of worldview But it seems insane to me to look at what happened over the course of history and say, oh, you, your position in society 100 years ago would have wanted to own people and not let women vote. Like, that is exactly what you're arguing for just a little bit in the future. You're the exact same character.
0: Do you think, I mean, are there things that you see that, like, seem ridiculous to you and, like, you could never imagine supporting? Like, is there anything that comes up where you're just like, that's, I mean, now that's crazy. Everything that I've supported so far is great, but that's just craziness or like it takes you time to to adapt to it and you can understand how it could take somebody much longer to adapt to it uh i mean so so the answer
1: is to the first question is no i've never seen a thing that proposed giving rights to a certain group of people or sort of extending some positive facet of protections from the government that i was like that seems bad like more rights for more people for more groups of people seems great to me and i have yet to see the person that's like gopher should be able to vote and as soon as the first person's like gopher should be able to vote and i'm a politician then and people are taking that seriously then maybe i'll find myself on the other side of the argument but uh i I don't know when that's going to come and for some people like that's there's a line for everybody right Mm -hmm. for some people gay marriage was that line for some people it's going to be trans rights was that line uh and who knows as society continues to get more progressive and we turn into crotchety old men maybe there'll be some line in the future that i'm like that's a stupid thing i can't imagine how that's just like gophers voting uh (laughs) which is basically what people say about these other things right like you can't let gays get married what's next people marrying their dogs it's like no that's not the same thing at all um but to your second question um i think it's a very personal one but i'll answer because that's what i do in the show Mm -hmm. um things that took me a long time to accept that uh maybe take other people longer times to accept. The the best example of that I could think of is um like affirmative action. The, the, the idea of affirmative action. The idea that a certain group of people has been disenfranchised enough that instead of just saying everybody's equal now and go do your own thing, we actually need to raise this group up. Um that was something that I really, really struggled with uh in high school and I really intensely struggled with in college. Because, you know, I came from a modest family, uh, and had taken a lot of loans to go to school, and was only only could afford to go to Micah because of the scholarships I got, which were mostly academic, because I didn't have much of an art portfolio coming from a regular public high school. Um, I could never afford to go to that school without that, and they have so many scholarships you can continue to get once you're a student, um, which is something I think Micah does a really good job of. Like they don't just I think a lot of places you arrive and. You know, wherever you did at your arrival, that's your scholarships for your four year tenure. But every year, Micah sort of reevaluates students, and the people that are doing well get more scholarships. People that are doing poorly can lose them. Um, and you look at the list of scholarships that a place like Micah offers, and by the virtue of being a white male from the suburbs, I was excluded from a huge number of them, um, which at the time felt incredibly unfair to me. The fact that I was vaguely struggling to pay for this sort of college, right? And I was not able eligible for these things because I wasn't a woman, I wasn't black, I wasn't Native American, I wasn't, you know, whatever sort of specific, specific group was being targeted with a, with a certain scholarship. And the other more frustrating thing is I knew I was working much harder than lots of people that were eligible for those scholarships and were going to be applying for them. Mm. Um, it was very hard for me as a 20-year-old person to not look at that and feel incredibly slighted. And now I've done a pretty significant 180 on that. Um, and honestly, I think running a business for a little while and sort of getting a more intimate knowledge of some of these systems that are at play will, will give you that. Um, and I totally get why that is a thing that we absolutely need to do as a society. And you know, I'm going to XOXO this year. Uh, if you're listening and you're going to be there, I'll see you there. It'll be fun. And it's the first conference I've ever attended as, uh, as just gone as a person. Um, I've never. I've always avoided conferences for a number of reasons, uh, and one of the reasons I'm going to XOXO is because they have specifically had a program to give people that are underrepresented in the technology and weird internet nerd space um, a discounted rate to go to the the conference if they if they applied and were able to, um, and they they caught some criticism from that from basically me six years ago uh, criticizing them, um, but that's one of the reasons I wanted to go. I was like this, their their dedication to fostering and actually diverse and interesting group of people is going to make this a much better experience than any other conference. That's just the same group of people over and over again. Um, so that's something that took me a long time to come around on. Uh, and I'm think, I think I'm most embarrassed of it because you know, I'm, I'm an outspoken person and I was outspoken against it when I was in college. I wasn't, I wasn't just yeah. sitting there thinking, Oh, this is a, this is a thing that I feel like I'm being slighted. I was telling people that, which is horribly embarrassing to admit because you know, it's just an idiot kid. Um, and I'm probably being an idiot kid now about something else that, in ten years I'll look back and say hey, I was an idiot kid now. But um that's something that took me a long, 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 long time to come around on. And it, ultimately, they were totally right, right? Like, ultimately, I was able to graduate, uh, started a business, and was very fortunately able to pay off all my student loans in a couple of years, which it proves the entire system is perfect, right? Because I didn't actually need the scholarships. It felt like I did at the time, but, you know, if you graduate and you're a white dude, and you walk into client meetings as a white dude that has some charisma, you can get some clients. You can pay the bills. Uh, so it totally worked out, uh, and I happily paid those loans back and sort of had a moment where I was like, "Wait a minute," <laughs> they they probably knew that was going to happen statistically. <laughs>
0: yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, because that's that's an interesting thing because it makes me think two things. One, you noticed the system. You thought this is really wrong. You changed your mind and realized it was kind of right. But we also talked about a ton of things that were not flexible enough, they don't work, and people try to flex them to their will, but it's in some ways I guess it works, in some ways it's a fruitless effort and I kind of wonder like what th- then what, what is then the value of a system? Like what, when, when you go, not that we're. I don't think we're ever going to like draft the constitution or something, but when you go into designing a system, like how rigid is it How flexible is it? Like, how much do you plan for being wrong while it's still having kind of constraints and walls and, like, enough that it isn't just a blank piece of paper?
1: Yeah, because that's... And that's something that, you know, when you say designing a system, uh, I I think... And, Dan, you mentioned this, too. You said, like, oh, ultimately, at the the top of all these religious institutions, top of all these governments, it's just people, and that's why they're kind of flawed. Um, It's interesting because I don't think almost anybody thinks they're designing a system, right? Like... Systems kind of happen when one person or a group of people make a series of decisions. Then each decision feels like a decision in and of itself. Mm -hmm. And then ultimately, what you've created is some sort of system that has an effect. And once it exists, I think it becomes very, very hard to change. Um, This is very evident in very large systems like government. Um, Like Our government moves slowly. And as much as I'm a progressive, I think it's probably good that it moves slowly for lots of reasons. and the same goes for, like, people to talk about company culture, right? Like, that's the same sort of thing. And you, your point, Matt, of, like, how much to do, I think, is a very, very relevant one when you're talking about this sort of thing on a micro level. Yeah. Um, because at a company, I've, I've been at lots of places that, uh, on paper, might seem like the best place in the whole world to work. It's like we have, uh, you know, a... An unlimited paid time off policy, like take it if you need it, just get your job done. Yeah, wow. we have uh, hours. Anybody can come in whenever they want. It's very flexible. Just do whatever you need to do. Um, we don't have, you know, quarterly evaluations. We just kind of, you know, constantly give some feedback and you know where you stand. And there's there's, there's not almost any, like, system as, you, as far as you can tell in place. It's just like right. everything is just supposed to work. Um, and there are whole companies, like, I, I don't understand holacracy too well, but I know that companies like Zappos and uh, I think uh, Valve too, operate kind of systematically in a similar way like the idea is that everyone mm -hmm. should just know what they're going to do so there's systems that exist that are like that but here's the trade-off and when we started friends of the web that was our vision right we're like oh if we can just not have rules that's
0: exactly what we want Mm -hmm. It's funny because we're there too like we have that vacation policy of kind of like take the time that you need because it's a very small team of people and maybe we're gonna have to learn (laughs) that doesn't work i don't know so here's where the hammer falls matt (laughs) because i mean we learned quick pretty quickly i think
1: that You know, when you think of rules and systems, but a system is just, you know, a bunch of rules, you imagine them mostly prohibiting behavior you don't want, right? Yeah. When you think about rules, you're like, you can only take 20 paid days off. So don't take 21 or 22. You're not allowed to do that. This is the limit. And uh, we're going to have a quarterly review every three months. And if you don't have that, then you're in trouble. This is sort of the thing we have to do. We're setting these rules and putting the stake in the ground. And what you don't think about is that those rules are also a sort of, Privilege, right? Um, so I, I've been I've talked to employees who work for companies that have a take as much pay time off as you need policy, and what happens to a lot of those people is they feel guilty taking any paid time off yes. because everyone else is just there, and they're like, okay, I'm leaving, and there's no because they weren't given permission to take those twenty days. You know, they they didn't they don't have a number where they know everybody is allowed to take this much time off. This is a widely accepted thing. I can do that, um, and the same goes for a quarterly review. I think a lot of companies think that they're communicating to their employees, both how they're doing, and they're also hearing from their employees how happy or unhappy they are. Uh, But if you don't set time for a quarterly review, you will never know how much you're missing, and it's so, so, so much. Um, So we've started to put more and more rules into place than I ever would have thought we would have, just because we found that people, left to their own devices, can't be trusted to do the things that are important, Uh, whether that's taking time off so you don't go crazy and feel overworked, or whether that's communicating how you're feeling about your job to your people that are in charge of you. Um, and so we were trying to put rules in place that encourage good behavior instead of prohibit bad behavior. Uh, and ultimately, that starts to become a habit and a ritual. And then you actually start to get that type of culture you wanted, but you've actually created it instead of it just expecting
0: it to happen, you know? Yeah. I'm interested because I know Dan's probably been through it uh, quite a bit. And, like, we're <coughs> – I mean, I mean, I'm sure you've been through the startup thing where yeah. it's, like, seems totally flexible, but then – People compete to not take time off. And, like, I, you know, to me, like, it seems great, but, like, I'm also, um, it's small enough that, like, everybody's kind of independent, and uh, if things were to get bigger and there's, like, people working underneath other other people, I'm sure it changes the dynamic quite a bit. How do you feel, Andy, about um, when you implement a rule and it's wrong or it it doesn't work, uh, whereas you're, like, flexible one, maybe there were some weird consequences of it. But you at least had the flexibility to change it, whereas maybe a rule seems different, like it, it's hard to repeal it. Or do you just not have any uh, qualms about taking a rule away that didn't work? Yeah, we have no reservations about
1: changing things. And to your point, Matt, I don't know if that to people that work with us breeds a sense of insecurity, like, oh, any rule <laughs> could change at any time. This place is totally in flux. We hired. We made our first two full-time hires around the same-ish time which was, we were coming up on almost three years ago, which is crazy. Um, and when we did that, it was since then, so in the past two and a half, three years, um, we have totally and completely changed the way that we decide how much everyone gets paid three times. Um, so they were hired on a certain set of terms. And six months later, we said, this isn't really working. We're going to totally change this. Are you OK with the new thing? And they said, yes. And then six months later, we said, that's also not working. For we're going to change it again in this way. How do you feel about that? They said, yes. Uh, so I don't know, honestly, if there's a sense of uh, insecurity from them because of that. But I think that's been the model we've kind of adopted. It's just a rule is not anything that we have any uh, qualms about changing, like you said. It's just uh, a thing we're trying to do to encourage a certain type of good behavior. Um, and, and we do change them a lot which i, I hope continues to be that way uh, i wouldn't want to get stuck i mean there are times and this is in sort of less serious ways but for example we for a long time did a sort of morning uh, sort of stand up every day which is dumb startup culture for everyone talks about what they're doing and, and sort of has a big meeting i just hate calling it a stand up hey, hey. it's so stupid
0: it could be useful no, we do we do we do a morning meetup yeah. we do yeah. a morning meetup just well because we're a remote team so we have to um like you could just if you didn't check in with everybody like i feel like i would have to worry that people feel like they're um uncared for like yeah, that it just- feels like a good way to start the
1: day so yeah. we did it for a long time we we started out it worked great and then at some point along the way i don't know when it happened um everyone kind of just stopped paying attention right and it was like when it was your turn to tell you say what you were doing you said what you were doing and then for the other 30 minutes you just kind of you know you did it on your phone yeah you know, daydreamed and this happened to all of us. I'm not being critical of anybody. I too found myself doing this. And it, I think it took us too long to realize that's what was happening, and nobody was actually getting any value out of it anymore. Um, and when we eventually did realize that, we switched to doing a meeting just once every Monday, um, which is a bit of a long meeting. It usually goes about an hour, but where we kind of plan out our entire week. Mm-hmm. And we found that it's easier to for everyone to focus their attention that way than every single morning. And so it... like to your point, Matt, some of these rules can be wrong and they can exist for a long, long time before you realize, oh, that was not quite the right thing. We've been doing this in a way that's not totally efficient. Um, so it requires kind of a lot of vigilance to make sure that everything is still operating the way you think it's supposed to operate.
0: What Dan, from from the other side of it, what was your take when you were going through the the take whatever vacation time you want, now it's a competition, the things may change at any given time, I don't feel so secure about this? Mm-hmm. When you hear this, what do you think?
2: Well, I, from my experience, it wasn't even a competition of who could take the least amount of time possible. Um, a lot of it was structured around uh, week over week that you would just have a massive amount of work. And that uh, there was just pressure for you just to not take time off just so you can get more work done. I was going to say, I don't even mean like this vacation time specifically. Mm-hmm. I
0: mean like the idea that you're in a somewhat either very flexible or like no structure environment or that you're in a very rigid environment where like maybe you are, maybe you have the worry that things can't change, but you're not worried about things changing for the worse.
2: Yeah. I mean, like I guess the comparison is startup to corporate uh, because corporate is way more strict. There's a lot more rules and there's really good reasons for it. And then startup is like whatever the fuck you want to do with the, you just do it. Well, just to be clear, this is the same
1: thing just with the, sort of privilege of time and scale yeah. like startups if given enough time all approach this corporate model you're talking absolutely. about absolutely which i think is actually a sort of vindication of that being a good model because when you've done it for long enough and you have enough people you have to worry about everyone kind of approaches things that when you're a small company you all agree that's ah, stupid we're not going to do that and then you slowly <laughs> realize why here's another great example of this this is a fucking perfect example yeah. um when we started our company, we were like, we are never going to do conference calls. Conference calls are shitty. Why would we ever call into some number, listen to some stupid hold music, have somebody go bling, boom, and then they sign on? It's dumb. We need to make a phone call. We'll just ask for a phone number, and we'll call somebody. Seems so simple. Mm-hmm. And we did that for a long time, and what we found is a quarter of the time, the person didn't pick up. And then, <laughs> And then there's four people sitting in a conference room going, well, do we call back? Do we email them and say, we just tried to call you? Uh, We can't give them a number to call back because we're calling from this Google Voice conference system. And if they call us, it's going to be on the telephone. And we don't have a good way to make that sort of be all allowed. And if we tell them to call us, if we're just waiting for them to call. What if they don't? Um, So we realized that as annoying and stupid and stodgy as a conference call seems to be, it has a totally great value, which is that the two parties can join whenever they want. They can get on early. If if someone was going to call you for a meeting and they called two minutes early, you'd be scrambling to get everyone in the conference room to do it ahead of time. So it's this thing where... I think so many things are like that, where it's so easy to look at a startup and say, like, that, ah, or any small company. I don't mean to just be critical of the startup yeah. world. Any small company or any sort of, you know, mon pop sort of thing, look at that and go, oh, that's just some office bullshit. But almost everything that is in the, that ecosystem exists because it solves some problem. Yes. And you solve enough problems in enough weird ways and you end up with this weird new culture, this weird system. And that's what governments are. And that's what businesses are that are big. And that's what religions are, is you sort of patched everything along the way in ways that kind of worked. And you eventually end up with, you know, tax forms that are completely incomprehensible and, you know, religions that can't interpret their own texts and certain people at different levels disagree with each other. And it's just, this is is the reality of every human system. Every human system is this big, like, uh, what's the name of the machines, the, you know, Rube Rube Goldberg machine. It's all they're all like Rube Goldberg machines, right? Where it seems so simple. You're like, okay, we just need to make this product as a company, or we just need to govern people, and then
0: all these stupid moving parts that seem so unnecessary just end up in it. So here's the the end result in my brain is like we we sure do like talking about designing systems. And yet the biggest systems in our lives tend to be these what you're calling Rube Goldberg machines. Uh sorry, tend to be these like Rube Goldberg machines that Seem patched together to get a simple thing done. Like, do you think all this talk of system design is a bit silly because we don't know enough to really design it from the top down? Or, like, we're just not doing a good job of, like, like should we, Should you have hired someone on day one to design your company and you'd be much better off? But, of course, you couldn't have done that because you didn't have any money. But It's true. We were poor. Yeah. Should, should we all be in corporate system design and design companies and make them run better from the beginning? Well uh Or is it just like this is just the nature of the beast? We're all going to have these weird patch together systems that we can only learn over time because we all have the hubris to think that everything was terrible before and we have to start again. And then we learn that uh things made sense for a reason, things were put in place for a reason. I think there's two options. One of the options
1: is that you really can't design systems in the way that we want to. You can't sit down as the omnipotent designer we all picture in our heads and lay out your graph paper and be like, this is how a system is going to work. Um, I don't know a ton about, you know, urban planners and stuff like that. I don't know if it's as beautiful as I imagine it to be or if it's incredibly compromised, which I think is probably the actuality. But, um, you know, I, I don't, one option is that this is not a thing. In which case, yes, it's silly to talk about because no one's actually doing that. Um, and everyone is just, you know, contributing their little piece of the pie and this sort of monstrosity. While ultimately the creation of humans is not the creation of any one human. It's this sort of thing that got out of control and has its own life now. Um, or the other option, if we're being very optimistic, is that this is a thing that should become a thing. Like there should be more people whose job it is to oversee a given system. I know that's what middle managers are supposed to be. Like a manager is supposed to be an overseer of some piece of a system at all different levels. And the whole point of the CEO is to oversee the entire system of some big thing. Um, And that, that description of all those managers at every level is exactly the corporate culture that your zap poses and your your valves of the world are pushing back against and saying that's not good, that's not useful. Um, so I, that doesn't seem to work, uh, but maybe there is a way that more people could be aware of their contributions in a given system, and this could be a, a new thing we talk about, because ultimately everything seems to come down to systems for me. Like, I have this whole fucking Slack channel where I just type all the things that just are systems that people think are not systems, and it just. Everything. Everything is just the result of history and people making decisions and not being aware of how their decisions are going to contribute to the future of this big churning sort of machine.
2: Okay, so I'm gonna break some barriers because we talked previously about maybe not doing this, but I'm gonna do it and we're gonna see how it goes. Oh, God. What, what did we tell you? My happy to do? ending
1: is a sandwich.
2: I had a really good sandwich yes. for lunch. What'd you do? Okay, so mine is actually going to be music, and there's a reason behind it. We talked specifically about being very wary about music.
0: No, I don't care. You no, 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 you no because
2: no, no, we talked about it before. Let's,
0: yeah. pl- let's, let's, let's
1: yes and, Matt. You can't do music, yeah. Dan. How yeah. dare How can music you. be important to you? Explain
0: it to us. How are we, how are we supposed to put music in some sort of uh, audio-based medium, you idiot? <laughs> oh, my God.
2: No, okay, so the speci- specific bit that I want to talk about is uh, Symphony Number no. 94 from Joseph Hayden. Uh, it's more affectionately named the Surprise Symphony. The reason why this is my happy ending is because uh, it's a little bit about Hayden, a lot about the composition itself. So the thing is, is that this is like a symphony that you would think is normal. So it starts off very quiet and then at certain parts towards the beginning of the symphony, uh, there's just these sudden, abrupt, loud notes. And then it goes right back to quiet. So it's almost like it it kind of feels like Hayden's trying to jolt you awake. It kind of feels like he's playing a prank on you. And the thing is, is that he kind of actually is. And that's the reason why I love this so much is because uh, Hayden throughout his career was known for almost playing practical jokes uh, on the audience through music, mostly because like he was uh, creating compositions that were. Uh, meant to entertain dignitaries, royalty, that sort of thing. And for this one specifically, uh, the, the, as legend has it, the whole point of this where like he has these loud, abrupt notes uh, to jolt people awake was because people were falling asleep at uh, certain parts of a larger concert. Uh, so he almost used that as a tool to like get back on the people that would be snoozing in the, in the front of the audience. I love this so much because this was in the same era as Beethoven, as Mozart, as all these other composers and musicians that were very dedicated to creating music and performing it. And then the audience was entirely there just to bask in the glory of, of the creation of whatever these composers had created, where this is uh, on a complete flip side of that, where it was more like he was do- doing, something entirely for the audience or towards the audience And something that's also, it feels foreign in uh, the classical period where he was doing this as a joke, uh, where everything else was tend to be like very serious or joyful or depressing or something like that. And it was just a a very focused craft where, you know, he kind of, his personality had shown to this where he wanted to pick on people and, and just like really enjoy himself it just, like, it feels different. It also kind of feels like it was, like, a, an earlier time where people used music to, like, troll other people. So <laughs> I would definitely, like, I would give it a listen. It makes a lot more sense after you listen to it. I definitely highly recommend giving it a quick peek. Well, Dan,
0: I know we've done this. We've done this happy ending for a while. We've created this kind of, um, I don't know, what do you call it, like a system? hmm And you've gone and you've broken the rules. Yep. And it's my favorite one yet. Uh, I want to check it out. I'm interested.
1: I like it a lot. I'm actually familiar with it, and it is great. Good one, Dan.
0: This has been On the Grid, episode 124. You can email us, mail it on thegrid.co. If it's shorter, you can tweet to us, at gridshow.com. And uh, if you want to post some more public feedback and maybe get some comments from our other listeners, go to our subreddit, onthegrid.reddit.com. There you'll be able to find a thread for this episode. Go check it out and comment, onthegrid.reddit.com. Right now, you're listening to Symphony No. 94 by Joseph Hayden, performed by the Boston Symphony Orchestra. Thanks to archive.org for this public domain copy. Thanks to Glassboy for our interlude music this week. Thanks to Girlfriends for the theme music. And most importantly, thanks to you for listening. Until next week.
2: Andy. Hello. Matt? Yep. Hi, I'm Uh-oh.
1: here. Oh. Can you not hear us, Dan? Matt, you can hear me, right? Yep, I can hear, hear you. you. We're here
2: just talking. <laughs> oh man, Dan's divorcing on the grid now. <sighs> Apparently she took the Wi Fi connection with her when she left. Did she take the <laughs> router? Hey, sorry. It no, it just cut out for me for like thirty seconds. It's okay. Yeah, we could it, hear you the whole we time. We heard you the whole time. It's great. We're headed <sighs> to a good show. It's yeah. Getting, getting beautiful.